You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Distributed denial-of-service attacks have been making a comeback, and many of them represent criminal extortion attempts. A major British payroll provider is recovering from a cyber attack. Russian authorities arrest the founder of Group IB on treason charges. Johannes Ulrich from the Sands Technology Institute on out-of-band phishing using SMS messages. Our UK correspondent Carol Terrio wonders how online trolling is still a thing. And NSA and CISA release guidelines on secure use of VPNs. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Wednesday, September 29th, 2021. Distributed denial-of-service attacks appear to be returning as a significant, if episodic, nuisance. Atlas VPN puts the number of DDoS attacks in the first half of 2021 at a record 4.5 million. The attacks were highest in January, tapering off a bit by June, but not by that much. The regions most affected are in Europe, the Middle East, and Africa, but the increase has been observed in most parts of the world. Ars Technica last week summarized a denial-of-service attack against Canadian telecom provider VoIP.ms, based in Quebec, that's interfered with the company's ability to provide voice service to its customers. The DDoS incident appears to be criminal in nature, since the affected company has been approached by hoods demanding a ransom that's fluctuated between $42,000 and $4.2 million dollars, which suggests a certain amateurism with respect to the criminal's placement of decimal points. The criminals say they're from Arrival, the well-known privateering ransomware gang, but that seems unlikely, a little like the neighborhood goon trying to scare people by claiming he's a wise guy from the Masucci family. Earlier this month, the British company VoIP Unlimited sustained a similar attack, The crooks in that case also identified themselves with equal implausibility as our evil. Another denial-of-service attack has hit North Carolina-based voiceover IP provider Bandwidth, which Bleeping Computer reports began experiencing outages on Saturday. 
Some reports have said the carrier, which provides telecom services to businesses, reports that service has returned more or less to normal, but Bandwidth's website, as of late this morning, was still reporting partial outages in its inbound calling services. A company notice says, quote, Bandwidth is currently investigating an incident impacting inbound calls from Verizon Wireless to the Bandwidth network. Inbound calls may experience intermittent failures, end quote. Giant Group, a large British umbrella payroll company, has, according to the Register, sustained a significant cyber attack that's delayed payment to many of the workers whose checks are routed through the firm. The incident began a week ago on September 22nd, and Giant appears not yet to have fully recovered. A notice on the company's site today indicates that they're almost there, but some problems remain. Quote, We would like to sincerely apologize for the inconvenience and frustration you have experienced as a result of the cyber attack to our network on the 22nd, September 2021. With instances related to a cyber attack, there are certain protocols that must be followed to ensure that the integrity of the investigation is not compromised, and therefore we unfortunately were unable to communicate with you as quickly and openly as we wanted to. We can confirm that our databases are encrypted. End quote. The company has been unusually tight-lipped concerning details of the incident and has implied that the nature of the attack required them to hold information closely. What that nature might be isn't clear. After all, the company hasn't released enough information for anyone to render an informed opinion. Giant is working with various third parties to remediate whatever issues are afflicting it. The company did issue interim payments processed outside its normal channels, to some 8,000 workers on Friday, but there apparently remain some unsatisfied and unpaid contractors. Russian authorities have detained Ilya Sakov, founder and chief executive of cybersecurity firm Group IB, on suspicion of state treason, Reuters reports. Authorities searched Group IB's Moscow offices yesterday. TASS was authorized to quote presidential spokesman Dmitry Peskov, as saying the Kremlin was aware of the arrest from media reports, but that he had no further information to offer. Reacting to the alarming development, Group IB confirmed that authorities had been through their Moscow office this week. The company is confident that Sakov will be vindicated and that Dmitry Volkov will run the company during Sakov's detention. The company says it's continuing operations and that customers' data are safe in its decentralized infrastructure, Group IB has international headquarters in London, Singapore, Dubai, and New York. Founded in Russia, the company now regards Singapore as its primary headquarters. NSA and CISA late yesterday released guidance on how to configure and use virtual private networks safely and securely. VPNs provide access to protected networks and are therefore especially attractive targets for cyber attacks. Rob Joyce, director of cybersecurity at NSA, said, quote, Exploiting remote access VPNs can become a gateway to large-scale compromise. We created guidance to help organizations understand what to look for when choosing VPNs and how to configure them to reduce the risk of being exploited. Use these recommendations to verify any VPNs are securely configured, end quote. The particular classes of threats to organizations using VPNs include, the fact sheet says, Credential harvesting, remote code execution of arbitrary code on the VPN device, 
cryptographic weakening of encrypted traffic sessions, hijacking of encrypted traffic sessions, and arbitrary reads of sensitive data, such as configurations, credentials, or keys from the device. And these threats are often the entering wedge for more extensive and persistent attacks against networks. NSA and CISA advise avoiding dodgy VPN providers. They primly describe them as non-standard and to look for standard protocols and strong encryption when selecting a service and look for services that permit you to fully inspect them. Once a VPN is selected, the fact sheet recommends active hardening. Require only strong approved cryptographic protocols, algorithms, and authentication credentials. Reduce the remote access VPN attack surface. Protect and monitor access to and from the VPN. And finally, secure the network entrance. The document has detailed suggestions under each heading and is worth reading in full. The agency's nine-page fact sheet concludes, quote, Remote access VPNs are entryways into corporate networks and all the sensitive data and services they have. This direct access makes them a prized target for malicious actors. Keep malicious actors out by selecting a secure, standards-based VPN and hardening its attack surface. This is essential for ensuring a network's cybersecurity. End quote. And who's the threat to VPNs? Nation states mostly, NSA and CISA says, and those two agencies would be in a position to know. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Our UK correspondent, Carol Terrio, has been pondering online trolling. She joins us with this commentary. So today I want to talk about cyber trolling. Why is it still a scourge out there? An article on trolling and the conversation 
suggests that online behavior is often characterized by a tendency to act in a less inhibited way than one might act in person. So they would maybe post abuse that they would never share if the person were standing in front of them. Research suggests that this lack of inhibition stems from our feeling of anonymity and invisibility online and the absence of any perceived authority to prevent us from misbehaving. Tom Langford, a security consultant at Sentinel One, had this to say. Trolling has been a problem for humankind ever since we were able to communicate with each other without having to be face to face. Uh, even more recently, uh, last century, for instance, you know, poisonous pen letters being sent through people's letter boxes in small villages, etc. It's a phenomenon that's been with us for a long time. So it's not surprising, really, that it hasn't changed much. It's probably on the increase now, though, because people are more isolated from each other. They grow, therefore, a, a, a lot more opinionated. Uh, and so, therefore, the trolling in increases as people become more angry and more upset with the world uh, around them. In other words, we've all suffered during this global pandemic, some more than others. And if you're an unhappy camper, you may want to share your misery. OK, so how to avoid trolling? There are two things that I would suggest. One, stay calm. Even if you're reading something that is so inflammatory and it makes your blood boil, do not respond. Do not engage. Because the main rule is do not feed the trolls. Cyber trolls thrive on attention. And if you don't give them any, they may get bored and go bug someone else. And also be careful about sharing inflammatory posts and messages and articles. A lot of these are designed to get you to share because it's so crazy or outrageous or makes your blood boil. But effectively, you're becoming a pawn in the game by sharing this information with others. Do your research before you share. That's why Twitter's recent stop and think algorithm is interesting. It's trying to stop people sharing things based on having been clitjacked by the title. And number two... If you find yourself in the situation where you're a victim of cyber trolling, the two key words are block and report. New tools to report abuse are improving all the time. Make sure you're familiar with them before you find yourself in this type of pickle. This was Carol Terrio for The Cyberwire. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Johannes Ulrich. He is the Dean of Research at the Sands Technology Institute and also the host of the ISC Stormcast podcast. Johannes, it's always great to have you back. Um, you know, over on the Hacking Humans podcast in particular, uh, my co-host Joe Kerrigan and I often talk about uh, SMS messaging and the 
varying degrees of security that come with it or perhaps do not, uh, whether or not it's, you know, better than nothing. Uh, you wanted to talk to us today about some out-of-band phishing that you've been tracking using SMS messages. Yeah, so uh, one thing that has been happening for a while is that you basically just got what amounts to a phishing message as an SMS message. Hmm. Uh, the advantage for the fisher, of course, is that uh, corporate mail filters and such usually can't look at SMS messages as they look at uh, email. An interesting sort of combination we have seen lately is where the initial message arrives as an email, but uh, then the message instructs you to send an SMS to a specific phone number, and then in return, you'll receive the actual phishing link uh, that, if you click on it on your phone, will direct you uh, to a fairly well-done website that then, of course, asks you, in this case, uh, for your Outlook 365 credentials. I mean, that seems like a a significant extra step here. What is the, the social engineering hook that they're using to convince you to do something like this? Well, there are a couple of ways how they sort of made it a little bit more enticing, I think, uh, for people to follow it. First of all, the message that you're supposed to send uh, to this uh, phone number actually included the company name. So it's almost you're almost feeling like you're authenticating to this phone number. Hey, it's actually me. I work for this company. And uh, I think it was about uh, getting your email allowance uh, increased or one of these messages. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's part of it. I think the other part is that phone companies are getting a little bit better in filtering some of that spam by not sending mass SMS messages to millions of users, but only sending them to people who actually responded to the initial email. They now have to send way less uh, messages and may not trigger uh, these uh, filters. There is Currently, a big effort sort of among the phone companies uh, to reduce some of the spam. Obviously, users complain about getting all these spam SMS messages, and uh, they in general try to more or less eliminate any kind of automated messaging coming from a full 10-digit phone number uh, without sort of paying extra, of course. That's the other uh, trick to this. Uh, <laughs> right, right. So, um Probably the spammers are trying to adapt to this a little bit by sending less messages, using stolen credentials without sort of running up a bill that's large enough where they would actually get flagged as fraudulent. Yeah, it's fascinating too, because if if you are initiating the exchange, then when you get that message from the phishing folks, it's going to come back into one of your folders that it's from a known entity because... You started it. You, you you sent them the initial message. Correct. That's exactly what also some of these fraud algorithms are looking for. If you initiated the message, then the reply, of course, can't be spam because you asked for it. So right, um, right. That, uh, that's, I think, how they bypass some of these algorithms. And by also splitting the entire process between email and SMS, it's very hard for any kind of corporate uh, security tool or such to correlate everything that's happening here. So is the primary solution here, I mean, are we talking about, you know, uh, security awareness training or are there technical measures as well? Security awareness training is part of it. And then, of course, yes, your credentials will get fished eventually. So uh, better do something like uh, multi-factor authentication. In recent month, and so I looked at a couple of uh, phishing sort of back ends where basically the attackers are collecting 
the passwords. And the good news here is I see very few people falling for it. So uh, maybe the education is sort of paying off for it, uh, but um, it usually only takes like a, a day or less uh, for a phishing site to get blocked uh, and you know get your red warning screen. And before that, if it's often only like a dozen or so users that actually fall for your average, not very sophisticated fish. Hmm. All right. Well, still something to be aware of. Johannes Ulrich, thanks for joining us. That's The Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Trey Hester, Brandon Karp, Peru Prakash, Justin Sabi, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. 